welcome to all of you. Today, <clears throat> I don't really have any, anything new to tell you. I want to ask some questions and I want to tell stories and uh, I don't know what you're going to hear. I, th I pray each one of you will hear something unique to your journey and experience in life. I'm going to start uh, by talking about Abraham retelling some of that story. At the end, I hope there is one point that will be clear to you with vivid clarity. The rest, I anticipate, depending on where you are in your journey in, of faith, uh, it'll speak to you personally. But... Um, To start with, I want you to put yourself in the place of Abraham. <clears throat> Imagine one summer morning, you woke to a knock at your door, and there was a pleasant-looking, nice stranger at the door, and he told you, whatever your name is, he said, he would say, Larry, I'm going to make of you a great nation. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will, and to him who dishonors you, I will curse in all the families of the, in you all the families of the earth will be blessed each one of you put your name in there and imagine yourself being told that one morning after waking up would it change your life and how would it change your life As we look at the story of Abraham, <clears throat> you know, there in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And then he proceeds with the verses that I just trans, you know, Scribe basically in my own words to Larry. Prior to that, at the end of chapter 11, in God's revealing of history to mankind and leading up, setting the stage for this God's continued revelation of himself to us, he said in, um, uh, toward the end of chapter 11, 
he talks about how Terah, well, let me just read a couple of verses there. He lists Terah, he says in verse 27, now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abraham, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. And he lists their wives, uh, Sarai and, and Milcah. And, and then it says in verse 31, Terah took Abram his son and Lot the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. One of the things that is not clear to me as I, say, for instance, read through the book of Genesis and I'm trying to put together this story and this narrative of how things unfolded and when and in what order and why and, and find the storyline is, is everything presented in chronological order? And I'm not sure. I, I tend to think not, but I don't know. And that's a side question. But so... My reason for, uh, for going here is, so it appears in one place that Terah began the journey with his son, grandson, and so on. But in another place, it says that Abram received this call to go. Either way... <clears throat> What I, want to, what I want to reference here is something that is placed inside each one of you, especially the men. That we, it's, I think it's sometimes the elephant in the room that nobody talks, wants to talk about. You know, we all have this desire for significance. We all have this desire to be recognized someone recognized as valuable recognized as having influence recognized as somebody that does is known to do good why do we have that why is that unique to all of us Is it because we're created in the image of God? Why do we desire that? I mean, because of that, we are spurred to try to excel. We are spurred to try to do what's right. <clears throat> So Abraham gets this call, and at first, I want to point out how he says, he just says, I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to make your name great, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. It's somewhat a vague 
and general blessing. If you go to chapter 13, and then you come to the incident where Abraham and Lot were, they were growing wealthy, and they had herds and all of this thing, and they needed to separate because there was, they had too much stuff. So they needed the, more land. So they separated. And Abram let Lot choose first. Lot chose for oh, the nice lush valley. The, you know, the, the, what looked really pleasing and lush and all of that. After that, God again appeared to Abraham in chapter 13, verse 4. The Lord said to Abram after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward, for all the land that you see I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring can be counted. Arise, Walk through it, the length and the breadth and the length, for I will give it to you. So Abraham moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. Now, again, Abraham is blessed by God. But notice, what I want, what I want, one of the things that I want to point out is that it seems like in these blessings that God gives to Abraham, well, I think Abram was around 75, if I'm not mistaken, Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. He was 99 years old <clears throat> when he was promised Isaac's birth. So you have, what, roughly 25 years of his life here. <clears throat> And in this 25-year period, you see God, God didn't at the beginning give Abraham all of what his plan was. He gave him a little bit. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to bless you. All the families of the earth, you're going to be famous throughout the earth for history. That's pretty general. Well, but then... As time goes along, and with each blessing, it, it seems like there's more detail given or something. And, you know, that has to do with pu putting yourself in that place. We talked about in Sunday school this, this morning how some of us are older <clears throat> than others and the younger kind of appealing to the older for, you know, oh, more wisdom, more knowledge, whatever. But you know what? That's irrelevant, essentially, because God reveals to each one of us as he chooses to wherever we are in life. It may be, and we'll, we'll look at this, it may be as we get older, but for some they were given a special measure of grace and revelation they may not even have known at a young age. 
we'll look at one of those persons. <clears throat> so anyway, going along here, <clears throat> then in chapter 14, Abram is blessed by Melchizedek. In chapter 15, again, um, God makes a covenant with Abram. And um, God tells him, he said, um, he, he came to Abram in verse 1 of chapter 15 and said, Abram, I am your shield, your reward shall be very great. And Abram replies, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And God just tells him, no, he's not going to be the one. Um you're going to have a son you're going to have an heir you're going to have a son and he's going to be your heir and um, he says, takes him outside and says look at the stars you're going to have descendants and offspring as many as the stars of heaven so if you're getting all these promises Larry and you have no children what are you going to do how, how are you going to make sense of all this? You're getting older. And have you ever wondered if Abraham and Sarah wondered which one of them was impotent? Did that have anything to do with Abraham letting his wife, telling Pharaoh that Sarah was his sister? I don't know. But he, he did it also to Abimelech. And to the time he did it to Abimelech was after God came to him, in the, at least in the account. I don't know when it happened chronologically. But in the, in the biblical account, when Abraham told Abimelech that Sarah was his sister, it was after God had come to him and said, Sarah's going to have a baby in a year. How do you make sense of that? It blows my mind. <clears throat> but going on, you know, there was Sarah, and she said, okay, Abram, take Hagar, my servant. Try to have a child with her. Maybe that's the answer. Of course, we know the story of Ishmael being born and all of that. But in chapter 17, Abram, when he was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. This was now 25 years, almost 25 years after he came into this land. I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make your that I may make my covenant between you, me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful 
and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout the generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to and to your offspring after you, and I will give to you and your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And he goes on, and even at the one, the one point, and I'm, I'm not sure that it's right here, when God had appeared to Abram again and said, Abram, I'm going to make your name great, and this was after Ishmael was born, and he said, well, I think it's, I, actually, let me read in verse uh, 15 of chapter 17. And God said to Abram, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abram fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old shall Sarah who is 90 years old bear a child and Abram said to God oh that Ishmael might live before you God let's be real it's Ishmael isn't it and God says no but Sarah your wife shall bear you a son and you shall call his name Isaac I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. And then he goes on and he blesses Ishmael too. But he made it clear that now he made it revealed, okay, it's Sarah that is going to give you a son. And then it was in chapter 18... where they appeared to him and the angels appeared to him and in verse 9 they said where is Sarah your wife and he said she is in the tent the Lord said I will surely return to you about this time next year and Sarah your wife shall have a son and Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him now Abram and Sarah were old advanced in years the way of women had ceased to be with Sarah so Sarah laughed to herself saying after I am worn out, my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abram, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year and Sarah shall have a son. So now he's finally revealing that it's going to be in about a year from now. It was at an impossible place and time in their life. <clears throat> Going on, <clears throat> looking at Abram's life and this journey of being told that he was going to be a great and famous man and have so many ch offspring and so on. The difficulty of all that, in, verse, in chapter 21, we finally have the birth of Isaac. And then I'm not going to go... And then in chapter 22, after, I don't know I, how old Isaac was, but he wasn't just a child. And God asked Abraham 
to go and offer up. This long-awaited, this impossible, this miracle child, this miracle son on whom rested all this blessing, it all funneled down to a very small place. One person had an impossible, a miracle. And God said, you need to go and offer him. Why? That, leads, that will lead us to the, the one point that I want to make. <clears throat> anyway, we know the story of how Abraham took Isaac. They carried the wood. Isaac said, we have the wood and we have the fire, but where's the sacrifice? Where's the lamb? How would you respond to that? Abram said, God will provide. They go up. Can you imagine the conversation between Abram and Isaac? Okay, Isaac, I'm going to have to tie you up. And Isaac was willing. I am virtually positive that he would have been old enough to run away. But after <clears throat> it was all said and done, the angel said, Abram, Abram, don't, don't. And he withdrew the knife. And there was a ram caught in the thicket. After it was all said and done, first the angel said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And in verse 15, the angel of the Lord called Abram the second time from heaven and said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord. And li listen very carefully what he says here. Because you have done this, and have not withheld your son, your only son, that impossible, miraculous son, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply you, and your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore, and your offspring shall possess the gates of this enemy, and your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. There was, I'm trying to find, anyway, I, I forget exactly where I saw this, but uh, I remember reading where he said, because you have done this, I know that you fear me. Because you have done this, I know that you fear me. <clears throat> now, going back to that question, what is it in us that aspires to significance, influence, 
to be appreciated. I want to go back to uh, or forward to Exodus chapter 19. Before we go back to looking at more uh, illustrations, examples. But in Exodus chapter 19, when Moses had led the children of Israel out of Egypt, they were at the mountain, at the Mount Sinai, and God was presenting the law, uh, or yeah, the instruction for the tabernacle. Basically, what God was doing, all of this was the ceremony, if you will, of this covenant that God was making with the children of Israel whom he had delivered out of Egypt. And he was making this covenant, and of that covenant, the Ten Commandments are the short version of what this, all this, the, temp, the tabernacle, the holy place, the law, all of this that's part of this covenant the Ten Commandments are representative of all that. And listen to what he says at the beginning of this short representation of this covenant between God and man. God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness or anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Part of the reason, a key part of the reason, that man was in struggle. Okay, all the other religions, they had idols. They had a bull or I don't know what, something that represented their God. An image that represented their God. God told his people, absolutely nothing of that. Why? Because if you go back to the Garden of Eden, each one of you is that image. Each one of you is that image of him, the creator. When God says, I am a jealous God, what he wants to know, what he wants to communicate is that each one of you, his images, are true and loyal to him. When Abraham, so he, so he asked the question, Abraham was not a perfect man. Remember, though, that he only had God's will was revealed to him in a journey form. You look at people like David, not a perfect man. But God 
said that he was a man after his own heart. You look at, you know, our faith, our God is known as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You look at Isaac and Jacob. Isaac lied about his wife to save his own skin too. And Jacob, he was a deceiver of deceivers. But still they stand out as some of the most famous patriarchs of the Christian faith. What, what is it that sets these apart from others? I would posit to you that what sets these apart is there's one test that all of them have passed. That test is the test that Abram passed when he offered Isaac. He had tried through his own, Abram and Sarah had tried through their own ways of human reasoning and so on to help God make this promise true. And essentially, in a nutshell, in Genesis 12, <clears throat> when God said to him, Abram, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and bless him Bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you. I will curse in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Essentially, the reason God had Abraham to offer Isaac was God needed to know that he could trust Abraham. God needed to know that Abraham wouldn't try to steal some of that glory from God. <clears throat> you see the same thing evidenced, that same thing evidenced in Isaac's life by being willing to be sacrificed. You see that same thing being evidenced in Jacob's life who with his own conniving and manipulations and deceit and whatnot strove and struggled and fought hard and long and put in his time and whatever it took to succeed. But in the end, God said, you know, God brought the conflict between him and Laban to such a point where it was, Jacob got the message, it's time to go back to my home. And as he was going back, Esau's coming to meet you with 400 men and Jacob's like oh what do I do now but you know what he was done with his own connivings and manipulation yeah he tried to send out appeasement parties but he knew that was just an act what he understood was that 
this battle was between him and God. Am I going to trust you to save me? And refused to let that angel go until he got the blessing. It is probably most clear, this struggle is probably, I'm talking about five famous patriarchs of the faith. Well, five famous, not, not, I'm not going to call them patriarchs, five famous people of faith for us to follow and two infamous ones. This, this, what I'm talking about is God will not be robbed of his glory. The question is, can he trust you? And there's a test that he puts us through. This is most clearly and classically illustrated in Saul and David's lives. Saul, who was, he considered himself, when he was called, the least of the tribe of the Benjamin, you know, the youngest tribe, the young, tribe of the youngest son. Uh, who am I? But there was a deep insecurity, a deep, I don't know what all there. But once he got a hold of power, he didn't want to let go. And he sought David's life like Frida pursues uh, stink bugs in our house. You know, because why? Because he wanted to hang on to this throne. He wanted to hang on to the kingship. Look at David. By contrast, twice he had the opportunity to eliminate Saul. And you might argue justifiably so. And then look at the end of his life. David was far from a perfect man. And he suffered in his family because of it. But look at the end of his life when Absalom, you know, there was murder and, you know, whatever. Absalom killed Adonijah and all of that. Absalom was finally brought back through a series of Abner collaborating with him and conniving and all of this intrigue and all of that. But Absalom usurps David and says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this throne. I'm going to make sure I have it. I'm the one. Of all the children, I'm the one. And David, what does he do? He and his whole company of loyal supporters, they take off and go. And like, maybe, maybe this is God's payment for what I've done. Like, he did not grab onto that. He did not insist on hanging on to that, on being able to influence outcome, uh, whatever it was. He is a, God, it's in your hands. I trust you. This is not mine. You gave it to me, and you can take it away from me. 
That is so completely opposite from how Saul handled it. Another one of the infamous ones is Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. Ben spoke about him in uh, devotions here a couple Sundays back. But, you know, when God tore the, Solom the ten tribes of the kingdom away from Rehoboam, Solomon's son, and he said, Jeroboam, I'm going to make you king over ten tribes. Where did that come from? God just picked him and said, okay, I choose you and you're going to be king. And yet, as soon as he was king, he said, uh-oh, if these people go back to Jerusalem to worship, Rehoboam's going to steal their hearts back and I'll lose my kingdom, I'll lose my power. And his, sadly, Jeroboam, the son of Nebat's epitaph is, so many kings who did the same things, but they persisted in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. Over and over and over again. Finally, the greatest example is Jesus Christ. I only need to remind you of him being tempted in the wilderness and everything that he was promised. And he said, no, I'm not going to take it that way. And he was willing to die. He gave that up. As a result, let me read what it says about his testimony in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, and listen to these words. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I would, you, you could remember this this morning. God of Abram, Isaac, and Jacob. Abram, Isaac, and Jacob, David, and Jesus Christ. A five-pointed star with the tail of Jesus Christ being the longest. A way for you to remember this. Now you may wonder, why did I not include Moses? Because there are so many others that you could include in this. You could include uh, Joseph. But let's, let's think just a little bit about Moses. You know, there's probably, there is, I don't know of a man in human flesh that had as much direct, close, intimate interaction with the Lord Jesus Christ as Moses. 
And he did marvelously. But I want you to remember that, you know, before God took Moses in the wilderness for 40 years, he saw an injustice and he was going to make it right himself. And he killed a man. God took him to the wilderness and Moses was a drastically changed man, I believe. But there was this one time. Why was Moses not allowed to go into the promised land? And there was this one time, this, this privileged man, this giant of a man, this one time when he was frustrated with the people of Israel and their complaining, instead of speaking to the rock, he said, do I have to bring water out of this rock again? The second time? And I just wonder, I just wonder, did that have a bearing, that attitude, that one mishap of an attitude where As one might argue, essentially, that he almost pitted his power and ability as too close to approaching God's work. I don't know. There's so much I don't know. But the one thing that I know, as I look through Scripture, there is one test that God, that is more important to God than anyone. That is, can he trust you? There are so many, I'm convinced that there are so many people that have this call, that have this desire for and this ambition to change the world, to change things, to do good, to leave a positive legacy. But the question that we need to engage in is, can God trust you? In order for you to leave such an influence, you have to have a lot of responsibility. You have to have a lot of ability, power, provision, etc. And the question God is cent that I believe is central to God is, can I trust you with that? What will you do if I give you that? Are you going to honor me? Or are you just going to do your own vendetta with it? Are you going to trust your idea of justice, of good, or are you going to trust mine? Because he is, after all, a jealous God. 